you would open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. We're continuing a journey through this New Testament book, a letter written by a man named Peter to a group of Christians in a difficult circumstance. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I hope you're enjoying it as well. But before we get going today, I want to cause some of you to have a nightmarish flashback to high school literature class. Um, if, if you took a high school literature class, it is very likely that you were exposed at some point to the poem Invictus by William Ernest Henley. Anybody? Raise your hand. Anybody there? All right, a few of you. A few of you. Some of you, honestly, that I think I went to literature class in high school, didn't pay attention at all. I don't know. But you'll, you'll, you'll pick up on it. I, I want to read it to you this morning. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I think whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul. I fell, uh, the, uh, in, in the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds me and shall find me unafraid. And then the piece of it that you'll remember if you have been exposed to it. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Now, there probably has been no greater poem written to describe specifically the rugged individualism of Victorian England, but generally the rugged individualism of the Western world than the poem Invictus. But we do get it's rubbish, right? I mean, do we get that? Do, do we get that theologically everything that I just read to you is fully and completely incompatible with the Christian worldview. I, if you haven't gotten that, here's me telling you that and the Christian worldview doesn't exist in the same universe. At least it shouldn't. Because that rugged individualism, that kind of raw me pulling myself up by my bootstraps uh, attitude has infected Western Christianity in, in almost debilitating kinds of ways. If I were to write a catechism for modern Christianity, it might begin with the question, what is the purpose of salvation? And the answer would be to go to heaven when I die. If I were to ask the question, what is the purpose of living the Christian life? It would be to be the very best me that, that I can be. If I were to ask, what is the purpose of the church? The answer in a modern catechism very likely might be that the purpose of the church is to give me the kind of programming and teaching that I find enjoyable. There is this individualism that has infected Western Christianity that is, is incompatible with living authentic faith in Jesus Christ. And what we will do today in the book of 1 Peter is, is wake up to just how radically different that worldview characterized by Invictus should be 
with the Christian life. Because the radical thought we are going to be given today is that our salvation in Jesus Christ isn't about us. It isn't about us at all. And we'll see that as we read from 1 Peter. So would you stand please as we honor the reading of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 22. Peter writes, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its flower like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. If you're new today, if you've not been with us these past several messages from 1 Peter, here's what you need to know to kind of get oriented. Peter is saying to us that because we have surrendered ourselves to Jesus Christ, because we have made a commitment to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord, we have become exiles in the world in which we live. We suddenly are transported from being citizens of this world to being citizens of the heavenly kingdom. And so for the past few weeks, we've just talked about how that has stripped us from belonging here. But Peter is, is saying, don't confuse not belonging here with not belonging. When you surrender yourself to Jesus as Savior and Lord, it might rip you out of citizenship in this world, but it places you as citizens in another world, and you become surrounded by others who are exiles like you. So the title of today's message is The Family of Exiles, to remind us that our faith in Jesus incorporates us in a broader body that is beyond just ourselves. And in the passage of Scripture that we have just read together, Peter lays out two things for us to kind of highlight the radical nature of this others experienced Christianity that we need to wrestle with this morning. He tells us, it's obvious, it's plain, that we need to love one another. But what he tells us specifically is that we should love one another first because of the gospel. That we should love other brothers and sisters in Christ because of the gospel. He does that in verse 22. Look at it again. He says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. What does that mean? What is he referring to? He's simply saying in a lot of words, since you have been saved. We know this because Peter uses the word obedient differently than a lot of the other New Testament writers. A lot of the other New Testament writers, and I've mentioned this to you, use the word obedience as something that comes after we have given ourselves to Jesus as Savior and Lord. But Peter uses it to describe how we come to faith in Jesus as Lord. Go back to uh, verse 1 and 2 of 1 Peter chapter 1. He says hello to all these Christians in all of these different 
different places, and he calls them elect exiles according, verse 2, to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. What's he saying? He's saying that you are exiles because you have surrendered yourself to Jesus because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And notice specifically, he says that this came about through obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. We are elect exiles because we have heard the call of God from Jesus Christ to be saved. We have been sprinkled by his blood and brought into faith. So when we go back to verse 22, it's very plain that Peter is saying to us that you have been saved and then pick this up here as his logic. You have been saved for a sincere brotherly love. So you are elect exiles, going back to verse 1, for the purpose, look at it again, of a sincere brotherly love. You are saved for the purpose of loving other exiles. Now, let's not go crazy. Peter is not saying that the only reason that you have been saved is so that you could express love toward other brothers and sisters in Christ. But he is quite plainly saying that one of the key reasons that you have been saved is for the purpose of loving other brothers and sisters in Christ. As far as we go, because again, we are catechized in modern faith to think that salvation is all about me. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to live a less than life. I want to live a better life. I don't want to go to a bad church. I want to go to a good church. And so we cause the faith to revolve around us. And Peter is saying that's not why you were saved. You were saved for the purpose of loving other exiles. You're brought into a family. And so the instruction he gives then is love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Because that's the reason you were saved. Love other brothers and sisters in Christ genuinely, sincerely, deeply. Johnson County is the most ideologically diverse county in the state of Kansas. We get that. I did work for our denomination on the, on the regional level, and uh, you didn't want to show up in western Kansas, hello, I'm Derek, I'm from Johnson County, and I'm here to help you. I mean, that's not, not well received. We're the most ideological diverse county in the state of Kansas, and that means that there's ideological diversity in Blue Valley Baptist Church. That means that there are people alongside of you this morning with whom you worship every week who have wildly different opinions about things concerning, I don't know, politics, virus response, than you do. So what are you supposed to do? Love them. There are people in this room right now whose very existence 
seems to be for the purpose of driving you absolutely nuts. I mean, they've got a personality that is completely different from yours. You're an introvert, they're an extrovert. You're thoughtful, they're spontaneous. I mean, you just... You could just run the list. There are people in this room who are your very own personal, designed by God, fingernails on the chalkboard. So what are you supposed to do? Well, Peter says, I was saved to show them a sincere love. Not a fake love, not a how you doing, buddy, talk about you behind your back kind of love. I was saved to show them a sincere love. And so I'm commanded, I, I guess, to love them earnestly from a pure heart. Completely ideologically different than you. Completely personality-wise different from you. Love from a pure heart. Not going to happen. You didn't expect that, did you? I mean, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to You don't have it within you. I don't have it within me. I mean, we're kind of wired to wake up mad at half the world and go to bed more angry at them than what we were when we woke up. And we don't care if they go to church with us or not. And the way we get around it is we convince themselves they're not even Christians. Both sides do that. It's not in you to do this it's not in me to do this so we would be in a bad spot were it not for the second thing the main thing really that Peter is unpacking for us he don't he, he doesn't just say love one another because of the gospel he, he goes on to say love one another through the gospel in other words that which saved you provides for you the resource to do that which is impossible for you. Here's how he does that. Let's keep reading. Verse 23, he, he says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. In other words, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, he's tying it back into that idea that you're saved for this. But he reminds them that they are saved not of imperishable seed, but imperishable. And then he goes on to say that is the living word of God. And then he underscores it with a quotation from the prophet Isaiah that highlights the indestructible nature of God's word. And then, in case anybody missed it, he says in the last part of verse 25, this is the good news that was preached to you. So he says, you have received the gospel, and it is indestructible and imperishable. But guess what? It's also active and living, which is completely different from what we typically think of as, as gospel. For us, the gospel is a message, a fairly static message, an information transfer. In other words, the gospel is essentially is, you are lost in your sin, here is how, here is the message that can keep you from being lost. Here's the information you need. The message for us tends to be a very static 
information transfer. But that's not what Peter is saying. Peter is saying that it is active and it's dynamic because Peter understands something which we tend to forget, and that is you don't receive a message that saves you. You receive a person that saves you. You receive Jesus Christ. To quote one of my favorite authors in a book he has, God is the gospel. Receiving from him his life is the gospel message that saves you ultimately. And so this is why Paul says in a passage of scripture that I'm going to quote until you're tired of hearing me quote it from Colossians chapter 2, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, not some information, not some content, but as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, as you therefore have received the gospel, so walk in him. Live out the life of Jesus in your life, having received Jesus Christ. So what is he saying in context in Peter? He is saying that that which saved you is Jesus, and Jesus is present for you, living and active in his word to help you become more and more like him. And so he continues in his thought. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, in context, we got to understand, it's not just telling you to try hard. Well, I woke up mad at this half of the world today, God, but I'm going to try real hard not to be. You're going to fail. You're going to fail. You can't do that. But you've been given an imperishable and indestructible seed that is Jesus at your salvation, which gives you capacities that you wouldn't have otherwise. So, so Peter here is saying, in his language, in a way it's a little bit lost on us, put away, he's actually saying, having put away at, at your salvation this kind of behavior and receiving Christ, continue to put away all these things. So there is a, there's a sense where, because we're saved to love other brothers and sisters in Christ, we put all of these away when we're saved. But Peter is recognizing that there is an ongoing work process that has to take place. But it's not about willpower. It's about something else. He goes on to say, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So what is he saying? Having put away at salvation... This kind of behavior, continue to put away this salvation, not through willpower, but like a baby craving the pure spiritual milk of the world. Now, here's what you just heard me say and what Peter say. You just heard Peter say that the key to doing this is reading your Bible. That's what you've heard. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, draw life from the Christ that inhabits scripture. And as you draw life from the Christ that inhabits scripture, your life will begin to reflect him. And one of the ways it'll begin to reflect him is that you won't be so cranky. You know, here's what we, we think. We think people who are chronically cranky and angry and irritable have either a willpower problem, they just not trying hard enough, 
but what they really have is a discipleship problem. We're discipled by something. You all get that, right? Every one of us is being discipled by something. And if you're being discipled by shrill preachers who are constantly moving from one thing to be angry about to the next thing to be angry about, guess what? You're going to be angry. If you are, are discipled by Christian opinion writers on the right and left whose goal in life is to get you to click so that they can continue to propagate their brand you're going to be angry and cranky at all of the things that they are angry and cranky about. But if you are nourishing yourself on the Word of God, if you are experiencing the life of Jesus in His Word, in the Word of God, then you're going to be nourished by that and become more and more like Him in all the things that you do and in context... That is how you learn to love people who you're going to spend eternity with, with whom you differ ideologically, and whose very presence drives you up the wall. Now again, you, you think I'm saying, well, you just need to read your Bible. Again, no, I'm not saying that Peter is saying the solution to all this is to read your Bible. I'm saying that he is saying, like a baby, you draw life and nourishment from the Word of God. That's a different thing. Lots of people read their Bible. You know what? I read my Bible every day. You know what? Sometimes I've read my Bible, I've checked the box, and I have gone out, and I've been remarkably unlike Jesus the rest of the day. What about you? Some people, I've heard people say this in discipleship groups. We don't want to read the Bible. We tried that. We'd rather read this book. What? Nobody's asking you to read your Bible. We're asking you to engage the life of Jesus in your reading. And so what does that look like? What, is it, what does it look like to engage the life of Jesus in his word to be nourished by it so that our life becomes more and more like his. Let me show you what you can do. I do this. It's not original with me. I learned it. It's changed my life. So let's just look at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Jesus, forgive me for making my salvation about me for making my church revolve around me. Forgive me forgetting that I'm supposed to love people even if I don't agree with them. Forgive me of making those points of disagreement really the thing that defines my fellowship and not ultimately my salvation in you. Father, bring me to a point by your son Jesus where, where I fulfill the purpose of my salvation, which is to love the brothers. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of imperishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Well, let me keep reading. For all flesh is like grass and all its 
glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of God remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. God, you, you, you gave me not a message that saved me. You gave a person that saved me, that is alive and active and that is imperishable and indestructible. This is... This is how I was saved. This is the gospel. You saved me through yourself by giving me life. I don't have to try to do what you've called me to do in my own power. Thank you for that. Thank you that there's not a single scripture that you've called me to obey by willpower, but you've given me the resource in Jesus to accomplish. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy in all slander. God, I am ashamed that I have characterized person X in this way or that I have had ill will towards person X in this way. Father, you know I struggle in these areas because of convictions that I have, but frankly, God, if I'm honest because I've just let my feelings get hurt, I've made my faith about me. So God, help me in the power of your son Jesus, to continually put these things away. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that you may grow up into salvation. I need to grow up. I need to stop thinking I'm mature because I'm angry at the right things. Help me grow up into my salvation. Help me to long for time in your word with you. Help me never to be the, the kind of person that thinks they don't have time to spend with you. That's what Peter's calling us to do. Peter is not calling us to read our Bible and get information and then by willpower live out life. He's calling us to engage Christ in his word. To talk with him about the word that he gave us and that he inspired through the Holy Spirit. So that reading becomes a conversation with Jesus. It's a very simple discipline called praying the word. It's a little tiny book that describes it by a man named Donald Whitney called Praying the Bible. You can read it in an hour. We may have it, and we do, Miss Faye's saying we do, in our, uh, in our church library, and don't tell anybody, but the author of that book will be speaking here, I think, in January um, on this very topic. But that's what Peter is calling us to. Peter is calling us to engage him, not just to read the word, but to engage Jesus in the word. And then he says something about whether we do or we don't. He indicates that we will do it if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is something we're going to do. We're not going to be okay living in a constant state of rage. We're just not. We're going to recognize that that is a, a clank in the engine that says that's not okay. We're not going to divide uh, who we're going to fellowship with. 
based on things that aren't going to matter for a half second after eternity begins. We're going to understand that we're saved to love one another because of the eternal connection that we have made and not allow the temporal tribes that we create for ourselves to corrupt that. And my prayer is that today we've seen what Peter has called us to do and we'll begin to make it a habit, not to read, but starting even today, but for sure tomorrow morning, talking to Jesus in his word so that we can grow up into our salvation. And one of the ways that'll show itself is in our love for one another. Let's pray.